Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Is the cybersecurity industry suffering from a market failure? And how do we move towards a network of trust where organizations share intelligence, even if they are otherwise rivals? This industry has developed rapidly over the past few decades, but cybersecurity still has a way to go before it's an established profession on the lines of medicine, accountancy, or the law. Our guest today is Roland Johnson, president of Crest. Crest is one organization driving that professionalization, but as he concedes, there's still a lot to do, especially around making it easier for users of information security services to know what they're buying. And the cybersecurity world faces other challenges too, from the need for greater diversity to the impact of AI, as he explains. Right at this very moment, there is a huge amount of change that's going on. And I suspect in some respects, that's because there's been market failure. So cyber isn't something that's new. It's been around for quite a while. Many organizations have been building teams over many years. Many people have been building skills and competencies in this space, going off and executing day in and day out. But the reality is systems aren't necessarily getting more secure or more robust. Uh, I guess the attack vectors continue to evolve. There continues to be asymmetry of information. So people within the industry often pepper their conversation with three-letter acronyms in areas that Crest is focused on. Penetration testing, red teaming, vulnerability assessment, bug bounty, pen testing as a service, impact assessments. They all sound a bit similar. Um, Are they similar or are they different? And I guess that's the challenge. Uh, To people that are practitioners and operating in the industry, they might be able to explain the differences. But to the average person that wants to be cyber secure, they all sound the same. And I guess what we're seeing is market failure. We need to come up with ways to address that. And I think what we're seeing today, and back to the point of change, is governments and regulators looking to get more involved, inserting themselves into the process so that we reduce the amount of asymmetry, we define standards, and ultimately through those standards, we define what good looks like. So you recently held your annual event in London, and Crestcom Europe. Something that stood out for me from one of the speakers was that such a large percentage of the vulnerabilities that cause problems with business, whether that is something such as ransomware or in the specific case he was discussing the supply chain, These are vulnerabilities that are well known, there are fixes available for them, and they have been there for some time. So when you talk about market failure, does that encompass the fact that actually people have not taken the steps to correct known problems in their security? I think that's an element. I think one of the things that we need to do is focus on collaborating more and building what we might describe as a more cohesive system of trust. I was chatting to a colleague earlier on today where they said, that's great, you know, we can put some stuff uh, into the public domain about assurance information, threat intel reports, etc. But the reality is most of the stuff we do is confidential. And so 95% of it could never be in, in the public domain, only 5% if it could ever really be in the public domain. And I went, okay. That's interesting. Why do you say that? We need to be prepared to evolve. We need to trust a little bit more. 
Historically, uh, you know, an individual or an organisation might do an assessment for a bank and it would be perceived that everything in that report would have been entirely confidential. There would have been nothing in there that would have said, this is who did it, this is what the, you know, the status was, this is you know, a comment on whether things are good, bad or indifferent. And so as a result, a lot of organisations are going off and doing assurance against the same things over and over and over again. Because we don't share, we don't, we don't collaborate, we don't know what's been tested. We don't, if, if we think something has been tested, we don't have confidence that it was tested well. We don't have confidence that the person that did it were good enough. So we'll test it again to get our own confidence. And so I, I think we need to reflect on the fact that maybe the system isn't working and we need to trust a bit more, collaborate a bit more, share a bit more. And then once, once we start sharing, we'll, we'll be able to work out uh, what is being tested. We'll be able to work out what the gaps are. And we'll be able to fo focus more so on some of those things that are important. At the moment, we don't really know what's being tested in the supply chain because no one's really sharing it, you know. Um, but if we can move forwards with you know, concepts like system of trust, we'll get greater insight. And with that, hopefully, we will be able to remove more vulnerabilities, be more in tune with the latest threats. Um, and overall, people have better cyber risk posture. So that simple question of trust covers such a large number of issues because it covers, for example, you know, SOAP, the software of unknown origin. It covers bills of materials, which gaining quite a lot of traction. Again, I think it was said at the event that somewhere in the region of 80 to 90 percent of stuff that's out there is open source, derived from open source. Mm -hmm. And again, there is no real method of identifying the provenance of those tools. Some of them may be compromised. Some of them almost certainly are compromised, but we don't know which. And there isn't really an onus on the people then reusing those tools to check them. Then that goes all the way down the supply chain. I'm buying a product, I think it's secure, but I don't know what the assurance of the assured parts are. So you revert back to that question of, do I have the right to audit it? But as you suggest, that's then creating a lot of duplication mm -hmm. and it's creating and potentially an adversarial relationship between supplier and consumer of the software or the service or whatever it might be, which then doesn't help to develop that collaboration. So how do you break out of that cycle? And I appreciate there's so many different elements on that because you've got the whole question of how software is developed and you've got secure by design, you've got zero trust architectures, you've got all these different buzzwords. And if, if you're talking to a board, you know, there's a lot of anacronyms and confusing terminology on there that actually doesn't really relate to the core question of how much is my business at risk? Well, to the point you heard this morning, the mindset of zero trust, and I'm sitting here talking about a system of trust. They sound like they're opposing views. Can they both coexist together? And, I, I, and my sense is probably yes. Um, but along that journey, as an industry, often we strive for this concept of binary, secure or insecure. I think we need to evolve our thinking and I describe it as sort of good, better, and best. There are many people within the cyber industry that are massively passionate. And they'll go, you know, be asked, well, how do you make something secure? And um, they'll say, well, you need to do ABC, one, two, three. And someone else will go, well, yeah, hang on, not about, not that, and this one as well. 
And suddenly it's not ABC123, it's all of the alphabet and all of the numbers. And what we're all doing is focusing on what's best. I think where we need to start off is, is something that initially is is good, and and let's coalesce around good. Let's try and agree some standards. Uh, let's recognise that from the onset they might not be the best standards, but they're better than zero standards. Once we've started learning from those standards and understanding where there are pinch points and pain points, uh, we can evolve the standards and make them better. And in the future, maybe we strive for for best. But. As part of that whole conversation, we need to speak. We Instead of competing, we need to collaborate. We need to share. We need to trust. That isn't just trust in um, organizations. It's individuals. It's applications. It's data. We need to come up with ways in which we can build trust. But we won't do that by not speaking, by not engaging. We need to collaborate more. And I think that... And we also need to recognize that what we start off with won't be perfect, but it will be better than the asymmetry of information and the market failure that we see today. Where are those standards likely to come from? Well, I think everywhere. So what do I mean by that? If we look at this through the UK uh, vantage point, you will see things like government with standards like GovAssure. This is how we want to see assurance being delivered in government. Uh, NCSE will have defined a series of assured services historically, potentially new ones to come in the future. In addition to that, you see regulators defining standards. So historically, there's been regulators within financial services that have defined this is what good looks like, this is how we get assurance and how we build confidence. And that's great. But then it becomes more tricky when you then say, okay, well, in Europe, similar vantage point, a government says, okay, well, we, we want to have a scheme for you know the EU. And then the regulators look at another scheme for the EU. And, and then um, industry comes up with another scheme. And then the same in Singapore and the same in Australia and the same in America. And very quickly, you end up into a patchwork quilt of standards. But it's happening, uh, and I think it's happening because each in each of those countries, each of those governments and regulators go, well, I see the market failure within the region that I'm responsible for. Um, I need to, need to intervene. I need to do something. I guess at, at Crest, we, we have councils that spread the whole world. We would encourage uh, through our peers like Sophia greater collaboration so that we can sort of join some of those dots up and collaborate more effectively. But to answer your question... Governments and regulators are shaping standards, but they're not the only ones. So think about some of the things you might see in big hyperscale tech companies. Many of those organizations will have many, many elements within their cloud service provision. Many of those entities might have huge numbers of apps that are in their app stores. How do you as an individual gain confidence that a application that you downloaded or your child or your friend or your family downloaded is secure, it's not vulnerable, it's not going to steal your data? What data is it going to interact with? By downloading it through one of those hyperscale service providers, there is an assumed trust. Actually, some of those service providers will do a level of assurance, but maybe not quite to the level that the general public would want or expect. And so as a result, some of the big service providers are looking at how they might also introduce some form of standard. And that really turns uh, 
industry a little bit on its head because historically what you would have had is pen testing providers going off and delivering a report and that report might have been it's a pdf and another person is a word document another person it's a, a xml feed another person it's actually not a report it's something that's in the portal the point is no consistent approach the language and lexicon is very different and if you are Looking at one report in isolation, that's fine. But if you're trying to compare it over years or indeed across a million apps or 10 million apps, having that variety doesn't really help. We need to come up with standards in terms of reporting so that if you're a hyperscale service provider that's going to ingest a report from industry that says this thing is good or this thing is indifferent, you need to be able to do that in a standardized format. So tech companies are looking at standards. And then I guess if you look through another lens, something like the Cybersecurity Council, IETF, entities that are not government agencies, they're also looking to build standards. Some of those are looking at standards in terms of software and data. The Cybersecurity Council in the UK very much looking at it through the lens of individuals and trying to define what is the expectation for somebody that's operating at the upper level, maybe a middle level, and what should there be in terms of an expectation for somebody coming into the market. The lack of standardization actually cuts quite deep as well, because one of the factors is, yes, there isn't a standard necessarily if you are in a supply chain, what information do you need? But also firms are asking their suppliers for different information or classifying using different terminology in different ways. So a vendor, whether that's a software company or a consulting firm or a penetration tester or whoever, even potentially a supplier of personnel, may find that they're having to provide assurances as to their security posture in multiple different formats for multiple different bids. And they can't bank. What I've been told is they can't bank that information and simply reuse it because, again, there is no accepted standard for me to declare what security steps I've taken to protect, for example, personal identifiable data to do with personnel. Is there a way around that? And do you think that is actually holding us back in some ways in terms of having a more efficient market? I agree with the point, and I think that really is the drive towards this concept of having a system of trust. Um, I, I know that in the US, MITRE, and again with some input from the ITF, are, are very much looking at this. Some of the biggest and brightest people and corporates in the US are saying, okay, we, we need to find a way to build that system of trust. Um, again, maybe not with a view that says what's the best, but you know, let's start with something and build from that. So uh, I, I guess m my sense is um, we need to trust more. If we trust more, and we have the ability to have assurance around the people that actually are good actors. If we can have some confidence around the providence of the person, the data, the guidance, that all helps. And then over time, um, we will be able to focus on the things that are important and not one bank saying, I, I want you to provide me information either in terms of recruitment or personnel or a cyber report in this format. And another bank saying, no, not that format, this format. And None of that helps the industry. None of that, it, it results in us focusing on the wrong stuff. Our providence of data is potentially a huge one. Mm -hmm. What's your thinking around that? Because again, there aren't really the assurances. We may have some assurances around people and processes. We do. But data is so critical and we don't know where that information is coming from. And as we're seeing, and we'll touch on AI later on if we have time, but as we're seeing, it's very easy to manipulate, falsify and onward share data. 
I don't have great and in-depth uh, insight in terms of what we can do technically to fix that. But what I can say is uh, initiatives like Skip from the IETF absolutely is focused on that. How do you start looking at building providence into data sets? Um, how do you make sure that that data set was was real? It was created some, by somebody that is a good actor. I think the more people that are aware of it and understand that these types of initiatives uh, are taking place, the greater the likelihood that, that people will contrib contribute in a constructive fashion and move the discussion forward. But absolutely, to your point, we should be looking at it. We need, we shouldn't just accept the status quo and go, well, we can't trust it. It's all fake news or it's, it's unproven, etc. We need to go, okay, let's challenge that. Let's find out what is it that we can do to change how we feel, to identify that that thing was a deep fake, to identify that that data, it said it came from you, but actually it didn't, it didn't come from you, it came from someone else. Ask those big questions and get industry to rally around and support. I don't think there's enough people actually, people that are practitioners that are aware that these types of conversations are taking place. And if that can be done, you still need to mitigate against data getting through or software components getting through that are corrupted or have been manipulated. So this comes back to the principle of defense in depth at one level. At the other level, you have these ideas such as the zero trust architecture, trust nothing, which is almost, as you said, an opposite point to this idea of building you know, trusted networks and assurance, mutual assurance. So how do we square that circle? How do we work on the basis that we're going to try to trust more, but we still need to be ready for when that trust is misplaced and something gets in? I agree. And I go back to my concept of good, better, best. We have to recognize that initially it won't be best. It will be better than what we've got. We will start building some trust. We will be able to identify some things that are good. There will be things that get through. Hopefully we will be able to incorporate that learning to make our process more effective so that it becomes better. And um, by sort of going through that cycle over a series of years, it will become better and it will become better and better. And the number of things that get through the net, as it were, we will reduce. But instead of focusing, as I say, based on what is best today, let's start doing something. One of the criticisms that is levied at the industry is that there are too many accreditation bodies, there's too many professional bodies, there's too many letters after names. And appreciate it is still a young industry. You know, you had your you held your conference at the Royal College of Physicians, which was founded in the 1500s, so they've got plenty of time to establish that reputation. Uh, organizations such as the Institute of Chartered Accountants have been around for a long time. Whatever they're actually doing in their day-to-day -day role, they always have that professional certification behind them, and the same with solicitors. We're not at that point in cybersecurity, but we do have this proliferation of accreditations, qualifications, and you're involved in one part of that, other organizations involved in others. Thinking about it from the perspective of the buyer of security services or the employer of security personnel, they may be one and the same thing even, how do you cut through some of that? How does somebody know if they're running a mid-sized business in, in UK or Europe or wherever it might be, that actually they're employing not just someone who's qualified, but also the right person to carry out the right type of security tasks that are right for that business? I'm glad you asked that question. So uh, I think it... The industry today is very different to the one that Crest entered back in 2006. So when we started building our first set of exams focused on penetration testing, there wasn't any way to measure people's skill and competency. And so as a result, Crest exams at that point were moderately unique. There were a small number of US entities that were building exams, but they were very much focused on the US market. 
Fast forward to 2023, not the same. There's quite a lot of different exam providers. There are lots of different training providers. People don't train anymore or expect to train by just going to a classroom or read a book. There are platforms that are immersive uh, and I don't necessarily say I'm going to block book the next five days to go off and learn about this weird and wonderful or interesting exploit. They'll go, well, I'll do five minutes here, maybe 25 minutes tomorrow. And the way in which we consume data, the way in which we learn has changed. One of the things that Crest has evolved over the last year is this concept of skilled persons register. What does that really mean? Well, we will continue to run certifications. There are things that we do and the things that we assess through our examinations and through our certifications that we still believe to be important and valuable to industry and the buyers. Those things don't just assess your technical skills, but we try and understand and through our assessments, your skills and your competency, can you communicate? Can you explain risk? Um, can you balance competing priorities? In addition to that, things like the Cybersecurity Council are layering on other role-based competencies around demonstrate how you lead, demonstrate how you influence, demonstrate how you practice innovation away from those traditional measurements that you might have got through an examination. Back to Crest's view though, we recognize that today an individual, if they come out of school, college or university, don't necessarily know where they want to be in 10 or 15 years time. So they might start off by doing an examination uh, or a training course that is created by a vendor. And then they might uh, go, actually, actually, you know, cyber is interesting. I'll go off and do a basic uh, level cloud security course. Now I'll do some SANS training. Maybe I'll do some stuff with OFSEC. Maybe I'll do some stuff with CompTIA. Maybe I'll, I will do stuff with Crest. Maybe I won't. But through that pathway, they will accrue skills. They will become increasingly competent. Those are the right kind of things. How do we measure those things? How do we knit those things together to be able to replay those skills and competency back to industry? Buyers don't actually really care about the certification, to your point. They care about, is the person that's doing the work skilled and competent? We, as exam providers and certification bodies, need to be, again, more collaborative and recognize that there's more than one pathway. It makes zero sense to start your career with something from SANS moving into OFSEC and then be told, sorry, that's not good enough. You need to go back and do the Crest way because you know that's the only way that's recognized. No, we need to be able to find a way to recognize those pathways. Understanding that there will be some core principles that are important. Um, it's not all gonna be about syllabus areas. It's gonna be about how was it assessed and can I have confidence that if you say it was you taking that exam, I know it was you. Um, so proctoring and things like that will be important, but we need to be prepared to evolve our thinking. We have already launched the Skilled Persons Register. It was launched, I think, back in 2022, and we will be using it increasingly over the next 12 months to showcase skills and competencies that were gained through other qualification frameworks and other certification frameworks that were not through Crest's original lens back to the buying community. So they, the buyers, can make decisions about, is it good enough for their needs? And from a point of view of the individual entering the industry or increasing their skills in the industry, it would be a massive retrograde step if we had to go back to the concept of a three or four year degree followed by one, two, three years of professional training, which is still the standard for the best known professional bodies. 
that wouldn't increase diversity and it wouldn't help us to close the skills gap. I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're aligned. We have to be more inclusive. We know we've got capacity issues. The only way to uh, address some of those capacity issues is increase flexibility, be more collaborative, accept that those different pathways exist. Without it, you know, we don't move the problem forward. You know, it just stays where it was, the old status quo. So something that you can't now, you can't appear on a cybersecurity program without talking about AI at the moment. It is being touted as a solution to the skills crisis. It is being touted as a solution to information overload and a way of improving resilience of businesses by picking up you know, more, more alerts and allowing the SOC operators and all the cybersecurity people that are in scarce supply to be more effective. Those are the sunlit uplands of AI from the defensive point of view. We'll come on to that in a moment, but just briefly, if we can, do you fear AI being used by the adversary? before we think about how it might be used in defense. We have to assume it's being used by the adversary. Do I fear it? Yeah, a little bit, but equally as much as it can be used by the adversary, it can be used by the good guys as well. I think my, my approach is it's not going anywhere. Don't fear it, embrace it, grab hold of it, work out what it can do for you. There will be many things that organizations do today that can be made more effective, streamlined, quicker, cheaper. It doesn't have to replace people. It means that people can focus on the areas that are important. I would sort of take it back to the point that actually skills and competency today are even more important than they've ever been. You know, historically, tools have existed and it's always been a case of within our industry. Well, tools will get you so far, uh, but humans, you know, that's where you really get the, the comment about risk and exploitation. And this is, you know, the impact, etc. Well, actually, tools are doing way more. Okay, And so there needs to be more than ever an ability to really signpost what those skills are that are required by human beings. What are those competencies that are required? People need to be able to focus on that, focus on stuff that really adds value. ChatGPT4 has been out for three months, two months, something of, of that magnitude. And here we are three or four months later, and there are tools called Pentest GPT. Burp GPT, Elevate GPT. Some of those are created by security researchers in you know, the UK and Asia. Some of them are created by organizations like Tenable, so big incumbent providers within this industry. Three months. Look at the tool set that's here already. I, I was at a conference uh, in Ireland three or four weeks ago, and I, it, over the course of two hours, three practitioners came up to me and said, I've built this web app scanner using ChatGPT. I've built this cool approach for developing reports. Another person said, I'm using it to gather information and scope from prospective clients and leveraging it in a way that they're doing the heavy lifting. I applaud it. Grab hold of it. Embrace it. If we are not prepared to change, if we are not prepared to innovate, the adversary will win. We need to use it for good. And we also need to focus using it to do the stuff that can be proceduralized, routine-based, etc. maybe a bit more mundane, focus on the stuff that's really important. So should then a CISO have 
developing an understanding of AI among their team as one of the core areas they should be looking at? I would say it's a great thing. I, I love the whole concept of organizations almost running challenges to say, you know, team, go off and come up with the, the best, most innovative way or use of using AI to improve this process or that process. Encourage practitioners to go off and use it. You don't actually need to be a deep data scientist and understand how neural networks use. A lot of it is based around, can you understand the use of prompts? If you are a developer, can you maybe develop some prompts and capture information that is spat out of ChatGPT and suck it into a new platform to do something that's bigger and greater and better? But have the conversation, encourage the innovation. And actually anything that prompts us, pardon the pun, to think more deeply about cybersecurity has to be for the good. I completely agree. Yeah, and, and back to your point, adversaries are going to be using it. So if we don't, we start having that asymmetric arms race again, where you know they will start having more influence, have more control, and we will move away from the, the goals, of which is making the world more cyber secure. So we have to use AI in the good teams, in the offensive teams that are going off and doing pen testing and red teaming, in the SOCs, using it with intelligence uh, agencies, use it all collectively to try and promote the cause, focus on the stuff that's high value, use AI to do some of the stuff that is more commoditized and you know through that approach we will deliver more Roland Johnson there on why it's inevitable that adversaries will use AI but also on how harnessing technology will allow defenders to improve security and in his words do more that though is all for this special episode of security insights our next programme will be released on Thursday, June the 8th, when we'll be looking at some upcoming European cyber legislation, the Cyber Resilience Act and DORA. In the meantime, do catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon or Spotify. Thanks again for listening.